So a lot of our intros start out with me kind of like stuttering and kind of like hesitating as if... Oh, did you notice that? As, as, if, our, uh, as if our prospective audience was a single like pretty girl. Whatever I say, it has to be per- like I need to win her over immediately. Well, bro, you're only talking to me. We're on a one-on-one video chat when we record these. But, I don't know what you're really, saying. Really, we're talking to a potentially infinite number of audience members, some of who I am sure are pretty girls. That's true. When we're talking about the population of the Earth overall, one of them must include the most attractive person on Earth to you. So, so You are talking to that person. If anything, this podcast is sort of like a dating profile for me. Yeah, this is the ultimate Tinder. <laughs> Light your fire, that's, bro. That's what podcasts are. They're just uh, a... <laughs> They're just 45 minute to an hour long Tinder uh, dating profiles. Swipe subscribe and like us on Tinder. (laughs) New listeners, if this is where you've chosen to start, you're listening to Scooby Dudes. This is a podcast where two best friends talk about their favorite meddling kids, believe it or not. And their dumb dog too. Uh, That's Luke, he's married. I am Evan. Evan is single. If you guys hadn't read the desperation from the start, read it here in bold highlighted letters. That's that's it. You look, it's a good episode we have lined up. Here's an episode of Scooby-Doo. This is the Scarab Lives episode one of the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo show. Please enjoy. Thank you for making it through that intro. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. All right. So as I, uh, as we probably said in the intro, hope we said it. The show we are going to be covering is called uh, the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo Show. Or just Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. I guess they don't tell you it's a show. You just figure that out when you realize you're watching TV. So, uh, so yeah, this show came out in 1979. And reading right off of Wikipedia, um, and this makes me really sad, but I guess here's the thing. This was the fourth incarnation. Hmm. Hanna-Barbera realized that the formula was getting worn out. Yeah, you could tell that they want to inject a little bit of verve, a little bit of life into it. And what better way to do that than to give the kids an analog on the screen? Yeah, another part of the reason was that ABC was threatening cancellation. What? Because their ratings were declining. Dang, that's hard to imagine. As we mentioned in like the first episode of this podcast, this show had high ratings. For a long time, yeah. Like you said, it was the most watched show on television for a while. So yeah, the fact that it was that it was declining, yeah, like you said, we need to give it a shot in the arm. At various points, we've been told how old the, the gang is. They're teens, they're maybe college, maybe post-college. Whatever the case, they're not anywhere near the age of the target demo for this show. Scrappy-Doo is. Scrappy-Doo is uh, Scooby's nephew. And I know that we touched on him a little bit back in 13 Ghosts, Mm -hmm. but this is his first appearance. We're doing the first episode of Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. Right, so if you've listened to our past episodes, you've heard us talk about Scrappy-Doo a little bit before. This is the first time anyone had ever seen Scrappy-Doo. He was brand new. The first time we lay eyes on him is in the intro. There's like a train, it's like a glue, it's a dark and stormy night, right? Yeah. There's a train that's roaring down the tracks and a bag is you know that thing where that that's how they used to deliver mail right they used to like throw the the mailbag on like a hook and that's how it would get into the town that was like yeah. an old school thing or you use like a, a pole with a hook to snag the mailbag off of it or if it wasn't a mailbag and you needed to like get rid of or pick up a puppy yeah because because in this mailbag is a puppy and scooby okay look scooby-doo is around for some reason yeah and and this little 
big-headed dog pops his head out and says, Uncle Scooby, hi, I'm Scrappy-Doo. Yeah, and it's, uh, I, I do hate to say this, but it's actually a box with eye holes and not a, a mailbag. But it's thrown out as if it were. Oh, okay. Look, Mr. Mr. I didn't take any notes. <laughs> I didn't take any notes, but I'm currently watching the episode. And also, I'm not going to correct you until you've said I too much about old-timey railroad mail delivery systems. I wanted it to become a bit before I shut it down. <laughs> it wasn't going to be a bit. I was being very factual. That's even better. I had such a vivid memory of this like whole train scenario. I thought it was a box, but I was like, no, maybe it was a mailbag with the eye holes cut out. And man, honestly, I I think mine's better. <laughs> you think what didn't happen was better than than a factual? I think to be fair, it requires more explanation, but it's more dynamic to me. Ah, people are gonna roast us, dude. They're gonna take us to the, the to the cleaners if we aren't factual about these Scooby Doo episodes. Don't you know everyone fact checks everything we say? I fact check everything we say. Oh yeah, so it's like just worst you. worst case scenario. I would have had to write, like, a paragraph about how wrong I was on the show notes on our website, ScoobyDudes.com. Yeah, check out our, our website to see corrections that we don't catch in the moment, although we typically catch each other's corrections at the moment. And by each other's, I mean Evan catches mine 99% of the time. Until now! Okay, all right. So so we were introduced to Scrappy. It's, it's almost like Scooby's surprised he has a nephew. Apparently, Scooby didn't know he had a nephew. Life has not been gentle to Scrappy for him to be flung off of a train at high velocity. Okay, first... Rife was rife. Rife has been rough. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little a little casual Scooby Doo impression just on the fly. Oh man, just landed out there. Uh, but life was not kind to Scrappy Doo's mother because his head is enormous. Ooh, oh gosh, that's a uh, a birthing joke. Tight, dude. Hey, no need to unpack it. It is what it is. Yeah, it would hurt to unpack it. Let's not try. <laughs> life has not been kind to Scrappy Doo. He's just. Uh, thrust into the world he's thrust into scooby's world and it kind of sucks for scooby because i guess he's got a nephew now who he has to care for and that's the thing with scrappy is you have to look out for him and you have to care for him you you get a big dose of scrappy's personality right in the introduction he has his trademark uh phrase expression like let me at him let me at him pop, 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 puppy power and he uh, he puts up his dukes which are very small and he tries to uh, he tries to fight ghosts, and what Scooby will do is he will hold him back. Inter interestingly enough, if anything, Scrappy is the realist here. Neither of them have a good grasp on reality, but Scrappy's reaction is not actually dangerous because there are no actual monsters in this world. There, there are, as you've said many a time, people who may or may not be willing to kill a dog. <laughs> that is the thing. They may or may not be willing to kill a dog, and they could certainly kill a puppy. There's times where we know they, they're clearly attempting to kill a dog. On two separate, separate occasions in this episode, lives are actually at st in danger. The thing is that Scrappy is afraid of nothing, Scooby is afraid of everything, neither of them are really right about it most of the time. I think the reason Scrappy is valuable is because he gives the kids a, a presence on the screen, someone they can relate to. I'm fearless, I know it's not a real monster, I just want to go after him, and that's what Scrappy does. Is Scrappy valuable to us, you and I, the Scooby dudes? Obviously no, we hate Scrappy, everyone hates Scrappy today. Scrappy's the worst. We're adults, yes? Like, like yeah, You are correct, we are adults. So, so it's just the idea that Scrappy is that little kid who like won't shut up. He's a little kid that used to be like, no, don't do that. Just 
don't you know, don't touch this stay don't, stay I, out of trouble here's here's a controller it's not plugged in but you can press the buttons and and that's what makes him so frustrating i i can't relate to this to this character at all and do you think it's the kind of thing that's flipped at a certain point like as a kid you watch tom and jerry and you're very much on the side of the mouse as an adult you just want Tom to be able to effing kill that Jerry. Dude, you know what? I, I don't know because I remember being like a 10, maybe like 9, 10 year old and really wanting Wiley Coyote to get the Roadrunner. I wanted that too. I wonder if we're in the minority there or not. Like I remember watching Dexter's Lab and thinking it was way too depressing. I just wanted Dexter to pull a win for once. Dexter... Then again, shows were just bleak back then. Dexter lost a lot. Yeah, it was always like Dee Dee just like effed up his stuff right all the time and it was like it was sad and we're not even gonna get into like cow and chicken or cat dog man that'll give you existential dread as a kid or okay or and i know this is oh here it comes almost goes without saying but like rocco's modern life that's exactly my the nth degree of it and these are like different networks too this is like cartoon network and nickelodeon this is just kind of like a theme and like warner brothers for like uh wild coyote and whatnot all that to say we don't like scrappy at this stage i mean this stage in our lives and we've seen him in quite a few things you guys might love scrappy if so this is the episode for you and look here, here's the thing scooby dudes i i made a joke on patreon um, about us lasting for decades but we're gonna look we're gonna keep watching scooby-doo we're gonna keep watching different iterations scrappy is going to show up time and time again maybe we'll warm up to him but at this point then uh, you know we're yeah we're not hot on the dude at all so we're gonna be talking about scrappy if you're not into that skip to the next episode it might be scrappy free okay so oh wait sorry we should read the synopsis huh let's read the synopsis yeah you want to take it away so like like i said just before you do that this is uh scooby-doo and scrappy-doo 1979 season one episode one the episode is titled the scarab lives exclamation point the premise is the title character of shaggy and scooby's favorite comic book the blue scarab comes to life and haunts its creator jerry sloan uh, which I'm personally very interested in because uh, I'm I'm a big comic book buff. Like I, I'm not sure if uh, how many how many listeners know that, but I'm I'm big into the medium. You're kind of the comics expert. If I'm the anime expert, you're the comics expert. And one thing I wanted to ask you, Jerry Sloan, the creator of this comic, do you think he has a real life parallel? Um, is there a Jack Kirby or a Bob Kane to? Because his name is Jerry, and just made me think of like Jerry Siegel mm. of uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster fame which Canadians will know from those Heritage Minute commercials that we used to see. You, and you you won't have any familiarity with this, but uh, back in the day, and I think they showed them in, on maybe on PBS or something, hmm. but it would be like a one-minute commercial about a momentous uh, event in Canadian history. Huh. And one of them was like about Sarah and Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, um, one of whom was from Toronto, he, the artist was, and who created Superman. Um, and the f- most famous one is about us uh, creating basketball. Oh, damn. Because they take this guy's peach baskets and they nail them up on like a backboard. Mm. And he's just kind of like, well, I need these peach baskets back. <laughs> and they were like, F off, tall people will play this someday. Yeah, that's like the joke, basically. It's just like they just stole this guy's peach baskets. Let's get to the premise. Again, a comic book character comes to life named this, the Blue Scarab and haunts his creator, Jerry Sloan. And we open up on Jerry Sloan's Manhattan apartment, Manhattan high-rise. It looks kind of like a loft apartment, right? And inside is uh, is this guy, Jerry Sloan. He's he's drawn away. And then he hears this sort of sound. And it's not like a klaxon. It's more just kind of like a... How do I describe it? Yeah, I, sort I of like even... a high-pitched... Whining. Like a, ringing. And he's kind of like, oh, what's, what's that? 
and then he sees a superhero type type guy purple spandex outfit with uh purple blue I'm, i mean it is i guess it is kind of hard to tell the color with the coloration yeah a little bit but yeah, yeah it's he's in that spectrum and it kind of scarab beetle looking thing on his chest and and basically what this dude says uh and, and here's the thing when a monster can speak the Scooby formula does not work as well. We tend to be more in favor of monsters that uh, menace incoherently. Any of that stuff is a little bit more... Yeah. It's abstract. It's otherworldly. It's ethereal. But when, when a monster speaks, it implies that a monster can be reasoned with. Yeah, and it makes them more human. It's easier to see the human within the... Where you could be like, hey, man, stop you know like why are you doing this you could ask them questions you can't do that with like you know like a swamp monster or something it's not possible in these kind of situations you wonder why don't they just say dude what are you doing and i feel like if you ask that to someone who was dressed up as a monster they would have to second guess themselves it's what makes the scooby dupe so much more effective is when the monster in question appears to not have human logic or like human like reasoning so that when they're in that situation and that's foisted on them and they're like acting with it it's that much more entertaining yeah it's that juxtaposition they're still a monster they're still like but they're acting human they're accepting these human social norms and we'll talk about the scooby-doop in a minute Uh, All that to say that this villain, this monster, the blue scarab himself, does talk. He's probably the most well-spoken villain we've seen so far. He's very eloquent. He says, uh, what's wrong, Sloan? And I think that's a close approximation. You don't do a lot of voices, but that's an excellent voice of him. Yeah, thank you. Uh, What's wrong, Sloan? Don't you recognize the scarab alarm? And it's like... Hey, can you give me, can you give me an evil laugh? Does he laugh? He laughs a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no, you got it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, he. so basically, the Blue Scarab knows that Sloan is his creator. Yeah. So he's very, he's, he's sort of, he's literally broken the fourth wall. He's in the real world. Yeah, he's saying, don't you recognize me, Jerry? Or don't you recognize that sound? It's the Blue Scarab alarm. You drew that infernal comic book for 10 years. So he, he yeah, he, he knows a lot, I guess, about his own creation, his own backstory. Yeah, so Jerry says, nerd. <laughs> So Jerry tries to get away and the scarab just like he leaps over to block the doorway and then like something it's something like emanates off of him very quickly like electricity he sort of shocks Jerry back he basically says like hey man stop drawing this comic he throws a smoke bomb down like Batman would and disappears and then one other note on what the scarab looks like he's a fit dude he's tall he's broad-shouldered tight-waisted dude's got pecs he, he has a, as uh, LeFou says to Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, which I saw today, he looks to be athletically inclined. He very much does. This is a, a fine looking man. And and I know that you said he disappeared after the smoke bomb, but hilariously to me, this, I love this because it's the first of two instances. You see sort of like the cloud of colored smoke, but you can see him clearly climbing a rope up out of the skylight up top so it's it's like imagine if you were watching batman and he threw a smoke bomb down but you could clearly see him just like running away he's uh he's kind of awkward this blue scarab so that's our our introduction to the monster uh we then open up on a malt shop yeah malts is the name of the shop we're all sitting around shaggy reading the blue scarab the latest issue or as scrappy says and this is what he says i i love how you read the blue scarab yes that's one thing that is not consistent with scrappy in later iterations he has a speech impediment the scarab here's the thing 
It's not even consistent in this episode. Not even within sentences. He does W's instead of R's, and then he'll just do hard R's instead. So, like, starting out in this episode, he, he hits uh, Blue Scalab. He, he says Scalab a lot. You get into the later parts of this episode, you'll clearly hear him say Scarab. Yeah, not very consistent. But he's there, he's having fun. Shaggy's reading this comic to them in the most wooden way possible. Super stilted. He's not doing a very good job. No. This is not this is not an audiobook in the making. Casey Kasem plays a great character. His characters do not play great characters. No. There there are not a lot of layers here. He can go one layer deep. He's not a big Inception type actor. They're reading a newspaper, and I believe it's it's Fred who says it. Fred's the one reading the paper. Yeah, Fred is reading a newspaper. Uh, he reads Jerry Sloan claims he's being haunted by his own creation, the blue the blue scarab, basically. Yeah, and the gang's like, hey, we gotta go help out Jerry Sloan. He's the creator of our favorite comic. Because the word haunted is used. Shaggy and Scooby are no, no, no they're not really down with this. But Scrappy's like, oh. I want to meet the Blue Scarab. Like, if Jer- Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster are being haunted by by Superman, you know, kids would be like, um, yeah, let me get in on that. Yeah, like, I can meet the creator and maybe even meet Superman. I mean, worst case scenario, it's Bizarro Superman and he's evil, but that's still cool. So, so Scrappy bodily picks up his uncle over his head, says, let's go meet the Blue Scarab, and starts to walk away. This is an element that we'll see recur, which is that Scrappy has superhuman strength and is able to pick up Su- members of the gang or even the gang as a whole super canine strength super canine strength excuse me what am i thinking he carries scooby presumably all the way to jerry sloan since that's where we cut to jerry is basically saying like oh you guys are the only ones who believed my story it's understandable that no one would uh believe him kind of like how no one believed maurice when he came back to the village and told them that Belle had been kidnapped by a monstrous creature. Okay, we creature. are closing the book of the Beauty and the Beast. I get that you enjoyed that movie. It's a magical experience. That hey, won- man, sponsors don't occur organically. I'm just, I'm just trying to show Disney. Look, I, we've, we've got the chops. You're wearing like a NASCAR jacket covered in Beauty and the Beast decals. <laughs> they, they promised me so much. What did they promise you, Evan? Tell me what they promised you. I got to see the movie for free. Okay, actually, that's pretty fair. Let's keep talking about it. Actually, no. I, I want you know because of the 3D, 4D. AVX, IVX, it, I, I did have to pay an additional $25, but apart from that- Okay, but you could have seen it for right. if you wanted to see it in basic. Would, would they have let you see it in basic for free? Well, actually, they, they, they insisted I had to I had to add all of those bells and whistles, but the base ticket price was free. Okay, so they, they deducted the base ticket price. Did you get, like, a free Coke with that or anything like that? Uh, actually, I, I had to, uh, I had to pay for my concessions as well. Okay, but I mean, like, if did they let you... They also insisted that I purchase the concessions oh. to mimic sort of, like, the ideal theater experience. Okay, and did, they, did you tell them about the podcast before this, or did they just insist on all this stuff? I didn't have a lot of time. You, you didn't, or they didn't, because <laughs> they were telling everyone else the same thing. I, it just all happened so fast. <laughs> it, was a, it was a whirlwind. Kind of, like, <laughs> how fast... God. Maurice, uh... <laughs> Uh, rides his horse Fleep to escape the wolves. I, you know, the trip that gets him into the Beast's castle. I'm beginning to question if this was even the Beauty and the Beast. Was this just the actor who played Maurice? Kevin Klein, by the way. Oh, what? Uh, from Wild Wild West. We're gonna need to go in-depth on this. Let's add another half an hour to the stopwatch. Okay, <laughs> you have to cut this part out because I don't want people to know that we're timing these. Jerry points to the wall and he's basically like, oh, that's not all. He didn't just come in and spook me. 
he left a little something. What was it? The, the mark of the scarab? They call it the sign of the scarab, and then they say that it's a mark that he leaves behind uh, for villains. And uh, we gotta mention this about that mark. It is impeccably drawn, such that as a viewer watching this cartoon, it's indistinguishable from the background itself. It appears to be three-dimensional, first of all, due to like the shading and the coloring, but it also appears to be three-dimensional because it has a shadow. It has a shadow that's consistent with the shadows of the room. And I mean, like, we all know Scooby-Doo, when they're looking at a bookcase and it's a secret passage, the brightly colored book is the one they pull. This right, is not a brightly colored it, sign. No, it's not. It blends into the background perfectly. Yeah, because I think that's, that's an asset in Scooby-Doo is that they have these nicely rendered... Um, lovingly rendered backgrounds. Oh, what a call. Are, okay, nice callback, yes. That have some muted colors so that you notice the foreground more. This is the background level of quality and coloring. And, and at this point in time, Jerry has said that this mark has been, I don't believe he says drawn, I think he says just left behind. Yeah, maybe even painted. This, this, it's a scarab, by the way, listeners. Um, yeah. Right? Oh yeah, the painting is of a scarab. The painting is a, a pinup girl. Who is a scarab? <laughs> okay, alright. Um, I, from my understanding, he, he brought this like scarab and then just left it on the wall, which seems a little much. He brought all of these painting tools. He like prepped the wall, like scrubbed it down. He laid down a canvas on the floor to catch any drips and then did several layers over the course of an hour or two. You can't look at this rendition and think he did anything but slave over it unless decals were invented by this time such right. that you could just slap it on. Is this a sticker? No. He, he, as far as we know, he is personally responsible for the creation of this uh, sign of the scarab. So that's our first clue. The, the gang asks Jerry uh, if anybody else helps with the creation of this comic book. He tells them that he has an assistant to do the lettering, which is not uncommon. There's a specific person who just letters the book. Uh, what happens is Scrappy is sniffing about. He believes the blue scarab is still around. Uh, they find a closet that says keep out like a teenager's bedroom. Obviously it is opened and Scooby-Doo is covered in comic books. Yeah. They just pour out. They literally just like knock him over and like bury him. Yeah, that's right. Scooby knocks Scrappy out of the way and he gets hit with all these comics. Which again ma makes it very easy to dislike Scrappy. Yeah, like Scrappy gets himself into trouble that then falls on Scooby. Which since we're most loyal to Scooby in this show, obviously makes us dislike Scrappy. Uh, so there are a bunch of titles. I, I believe you might have had a note to say about one of them. There's a lot of different titles. In a modern version of this episode, you would think they would show other Hanna-Barbera cartoons. There is a Yogi Bear uh, comic book issue that you that you can see. Most of the rest mm -hmm. of the stuff is just like action comics, fun comics. Or like Morgan the Pirate. Morgan the Pirate. There's one comic that we pan past for just a moment, just a couple of screens, and I've zoomed into this. I want listeners to know, I am certain beyond certain, I wish I wasn't, that it says Poopta Tales. <laughs> P-O-O-P-T-A <laughs> Tales. <laughs> T-A-L-E-S. <laughs> Look, this is a little behind the scenes, behind the curtain I want to share with you listeners. We're recording this episode for the second time. <laughs> yeah, our first audio was bad and we had to redo it. I had completely forgotten about Poop Tales. It's been quite a while since we've recorded it the first time around. I will never forget Poop Tales because I searched. I was like, is this like DuckTales but fecal? <laughs> What the heck? It's not, it doesn't exist anywhere. This is one person's <laughs> bit tales. that they threw in there. Dude, I'm gonna try, after this episode comes out, I'm gonna try to add this to the Scooby-Doo wiki. Poop details. Cause I feel like it deserves a page. That dude has, dude, that dude has a page for the duck in A Night of Freddy's No Delight. I think he can dedicate a page to Poop details. So those comics bury Scooby. Amongst those comics that we find out are just Jerry's comic collection, Shaggy finds one comic in which 
The Scarab is a villain in which he's holding a big bag of money and running away with it. First of all, he marvels at the premise, which, little side note, did you know that Disney owns Marvel? And that Marvel Comics is currently doing an event called Secret Empire in which, uh, uh, Captain America is is uh, Hydra. Is that canon? Is that main canon? It, it is actually happening right this moment. I am buying and reading it. Uh, sorry, the only reason I bring that up, the premise of heroes being villains is not anything new. And the way they do the premise is something you could totally imagine in a Golden Age or Silver Age comic. Jerry Sloan says, no, it's just that the Blue Scarab has been hypnotized by a villain yeah. to go do all these crimes. That being said, Shaggy is very shocked by the cover. Yeah, that's, that's their Blue Scarab, their hero. He also says that this issue in particular is next month's. And it is normal for comic book publishers to get their issues done ahead of time. So it looks like he has like a comp. And interestingly enough, he just gives it to Shaggy. And Shaggy is happy to take it. From there, Fred, Daphne, and Velma want to go visit Mr. Hardy, the publisher, so they can scout things out from that perspective. I do want to make note, Mr. Hardy is a... Uh, okay, he's black, mm. So and the blue scarab is white. Um, Mr. Hardy is also an older portlier man with a mustache, and the blue scarab has like a... Like we said, sort of like a cowl, so his uh, his mouth area is uh, is free. We can rule out Mr. Hardy. Thank you for mentioning that. And also that there's a person of color in this episode of Scooby-Doo. We don't see that almost at all in these early iterations. He he says that the Blue Scarab is his number one bestseller. He needs to keep the presses moving. So if the Blue Scarab stops, he's going to lose a lot of money. Yeah, and Jerry's kind of, he's looking to stop doing these comics because he's under threat by his own comic book character. Do you remember the other character who makes an appearance? Yes, his name is Floyd Hotchkiss. Well, he basically shows up and he's just like, to Mr. Hardy, wise up and dump Sloan. Like, get him out of here. And also, I'm not just another artist, I'm your best artist. Which is like, look, I, I'm I'm studying publishing, I'm not in the industry, but I feel like that's not very professional. Not cool. Right? You don't, you don't like badmouth to your boss. Man, that coworker of mine sucks, fire him. Floyd Hotchkiss seems a little seedy. He reminded me of uh, Peter Lorre, that one hungarian american actor who had like big widespread eyes and appeared in lots of cartoons like, he he looks creepy which we you know that that is a thing that happens in, in scooby-doo and he sounds um, a bit like that guy too he's got kind of a a monotone lingering voice he, here's the thing whereas mr hardy is like we said kind of like a portlier black man floyd hotchkiss on the other hand is very diminutive in size he's pretty small he's a small little dude which makes me think he might actually be like a peter Lorre type character mm-hmm so these are, I guess these are two of the usual suspects. If and uh, I don't want to say that Floyd Hutchings can't be uh, the Blue Scarab. Regardless, we go back to the apartment or the studio, but it looks like it looks like a loft apartment. Whatever the place, it's nice. Jerry Sloan is doing quite well for himself by his apartment alone. The Blue Scarab returns. Right while Jerry is talking to Scrappy and Scooby and Shaggy about the comic process, he's like, we draw it really big, but then the photograph shrinks it down. Which is fascinating because that's very accurate. Yeah, you, you, you draw all... They typically... And now, because pens are a lot finer and like with digital scanning and stuff, sometimes people will draw to scale. But back in the day, they had these big boards and that's what they would draw the comics on, like um, 1.5 times or like two times like larger than they really are. And then the Blue Scarab shows up, which disappointed me because I wanted to hear more about the process. Have you decided to retire or do you need further convincing? And Shaggy's like, yeah, yeah, he'll, he's going to retire. I'm going to retire. Like, we're, we're all retired. We're out of the game. Don't worry about us. Sorry. Scary. I, look, I want to I wanna bring up something that I wanted to before. I know I ask you to edit things back a lot, and you never do. Yeah. But when they first come up on Jerry Sloan, Shaggy and Scooby are doing a bit, and their bit is just like, oh yeah, <laughs> like when you said you're being haunted by your creation, that was just a joke, right? Right? 
they're both like laughing. They're both like trying to get Jerry to say that this whole thing is a joke. Yes, laugh with me. Agree with me. You're just joking. Scooby, um, he grabs Jerry's face. He starts moving it up and down like, you're joking, right? To nod. Starts making him nod. Jerry shakes his head so strongly to the point that Scooby's entire body is lifted up and moved side to side. It goes from Scooby making Jerry nod to Jerry shaking his head and making Scooby yeah, flail back and forth. It's great. It's a wonderful visual gag. Also, Jerry Sloan has uh, neck muscles like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, but you know whose neck it's not quite up to par with is Gaston's Oh, neck. gosh. Because no one's neck's like Gaston. I don't know why I didn't see it coming. That's on me now. <laughs> I'm real, Dude, I thought you were setting me up. I can't believe I wasn't. <laughs> because when I think of Gaston, my image is of him... And this doesn't even happen in the cartoon, but it's of him wrapping a belt around his neck and snapping it. That does happen in the cartoon. He does that? I thought it was just his bicep that snaps it. No, it's his neck. I can't believe he actually puts a belt around his neck in a kid's cartoon. <laughs> do you really think that kids were like, oh, I saw Beauty and the Beast. I want to be like Gaston, the villain of the piece. Let me wrap a belt around my neck and then flex so that it snaps. Yeah, you also had you also had kids eating four dozen eggs to, you know, get to his size. You know, I think he could have lived if he had just eaten the eggs or just done the belt thing, but... You know what's not impressive about that song? Look, I, I want to apologize to our listeners, but I guess I don't care. Um, Gaston says that when he was a child, he ate four dozen eggs. Yeah. But now that he's an adult, he eats five dozen eggs. And it's like, buddy... You added 12 eggs. That's it? Like, you don't require that much more protein? Than when you were a child. Yeah, you think that it would have at least doubled. Now I eat, you know, yeah, before I ate four dozen eggs. Anyway, let me check, let me fact check myself really quickly. No, you're I'm, right. He, he ups it by one, I'm pretty sure. I found a site called Oh My Disney. Yeah, it is, it is four dozen eggs to five dozen eggs. This article is called Gaston, That is Too Many Eggs. I will link to that in the show notes. You didn't ask me to cut this part, but <laughs> we'll see. All right, so with sorry, uh, it also it it goes into how many calories sixty eggs a day would be. Oh my gosh, which is six thousand calories. Is that taking into account brown or white? Uh, it is not. Let's crunch those numbers right now on the air. Um, keep all the Beauty and the Beast stuff. <laughs> so the Blue Scarab shows up in Jerry Sloan's office while Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy are there. You designed me to strike terror into the hearts of evildoers, Sloan, but now I strike terror into your heart. Scrappy isn't having any of that. He wants to know why his hero's acting like such a meanie. The Blue Scarab does not explain. What he does say is that he'll turn to crime and ruin forever his name, i.e. the Blue Scarab's name, and yours. So he's gonna sully his own reputation and that of his creator. Right on. And then he, he throws down a smoke bomb and we can once again see him just like scampering away through the cloud of smoke. <laughs> the opposite of surreptitiously. But Scrappy runs after him. Again, Scrappy's not having any of this. He wants to go after the villain, so he chases after him, and Scooby's too slow to stop him. Scooby and Shaggy actually both manage to hold on to him. He drags both of them and still gets away. <gasps> oh, that's right. Yeah, another feat of super, super canine, canine strength. strength. And what Scrappy does run up to and grab and pull back is not the blue scarab, but Jerry Sloan's assistant. Uh, his name is... Howard Gruger. Gruger, right. Not Gruber, Gruger. Previously, you had said Hans Gruber or something like that. Well, how... We'd gone a little Die Hard. And this definitely predated Die Hard, I want to say. Because this is like 1979, and I believe Die Hard came out in the 80s. Which is crazy, because this character is voiced by Alan Rickman. Okay, you know... 
He's not. But Howard Gruger is the name of Jerry Sloan's assistant, who Scrappy-Doo drags back through the smoke. Bodily drags him through the smoke, and they're like, oh, that's not the Blue Scarab. That's my assistant, the letterer. Um, the gang is at the other end of the hallway, and they're just like, the Blue Scarab didn't run past us. And Howard Gruger says, well, they didn't run past me either. And uh, in the same breath, he quits. He grabs this pallet of work he was working on, slaps it against Jerry's chest and says, I'm out, you're on your own. He doesn't want to put up with these shenanigans with, with all of this hullabaloo that's going on. So he's out, now Jerry's lost his letterer. Look, I want to note that, uh, that Howard Gruger is a tall, broad-shouldered, small-waisted man who looks to be uh, athletically inclined, if you will. I almost said something like that, because when Scrappy drags him back, and they're like, that's not the Blue Scarab, Scrappy, to verify, walks along the length of Howard Gruger's body. Starting at his feet, he walks all along his, uh, stepping on his, you know, tight tummy, uh, <laughs> climbing over it, his it, broad Yeah, pecs. his abs of steel, and, and, and yeah. so on and so forth. He takes hold of his chiseled jaw and turns his face. Oh, no, that's that's not the Blue Scarab. No, yeah, how, how could it be? So they're looking at the comic with uh, next month's issue where, where the Blue Scarab is a villain. Uh, and it looks like the first stop is a jewelry store. We instantly pan to a shot of uh, Romeo jewelry. So close to being a pun. So close to Romeo and jewelry. Yeah. Huge missed opportunity in my mind. That business owner must have been kicking himself for years after that. Just saving up for a new sign. Clearly that guy was saving money somehow because he hired a security guard to, to do the overnight, which is like, okay, that's commendable. You, yeah, makes you sense. clearly have a lot of uh, wares. There's definitely a lot of jewelry. But at the same time, this security guard is sitting there in the dark reading a comic book with a flashlight. And that comic book, of course, is going to be the Blue Scarab, who he, of course, is also a huge fan of. He's giggling with delight. He's like <laughs> reading and like tittering to himself, which is adorable. This, this full-grown man. Uh, yeah, a slightly chubby, gray-haired man. The Blue Scarab obviously robs this joint, but he does so by literally pushing the doors down the way he's animated is hilarious I don't even know if I can describe it it's just fantastic the way he runs in and goose steps back out after he's done <laughs> are you looking at it? I just watched it and you're right he kind of like he he has like very high steps like he's doing like like you know like when you're working in like soccer or something you're putting your knees up but it's hilarious because again he doesn't um he doesn't push the door open he literally pushes the door down. Yeah, like a domino. And yeah, and then he doesn't like do anything to the security guard. He just walks in, the security guard walks up and he's like, hey, the security guard walks up to the blue scarab as if he's gonna push him away and he gets zapped. Zapped back by the scarab sting. The weird thing is that- Oh, okay, so he does, he does attack him in a sense. The weird thing is that the security guard is almost nose to nose with the scarab by the time he touches him with his hand. Yeah, he gets he gets real real close in there. Um, the Scarab says, uh, Now for the jewels. These should do nicely for the first loot in the Blue Scarab's crime spree. Then we're back, we're back to the loft. They're listening to the radio, and the radio says, And the report indicates that the Blue Scarab has made off with more than $1 million in valuable gems. Impressive, because he apparently only slid one set of jewels into this bag and then ran. Again, super high step down. <laughs> Okay, that's gonna be that's gonna be a screenshot on the website. Check that out. Then then uh, I think it was Velma. Someone's reading the comic book and they're like, oh well. Next, he robs a bank, and then almost immediately, um, the radio reports on like a bank being robbed. Yeah, which is funny because Shaggy turns the radio on to take their minds off it. He's like, guys, let's just listen to some radio. Let's listen to some uh, top one hundred hits. That Casey Kasem is a delight. So yeah, their stuff is happening live. Uh, what's next in the comic book but a museum? 
I guess they assume they have time to get there. Maybe they will. Shaggy's hoping they don't. As they're pulling up in the van, he's like, I'm hoping we're too late. But the rest of the gang is gung-ho. From up on the roof, uh, they, they do see the blue scarab up top there. I know that we have that checklist that we do, and this is the closest that we're going to get to it. But he says, uh, meddling fools. Not even, he says, meddling fools. Oh, see, okay, that's what I heard, but I wrote down meddling because I'm like, okay, he, there's no way he said meddling. They're fools, but they've got some metal. It is even further than it should, like, it's not meddling kids, it's meddling fools. And when Evan mentions the checklist, he means the checklist of basic things that are in most episodes of Scooby-Doo are very stereotypically Scooby-Doo. Yeah, we deem them to be a classic, classic Scooby-Doo tropes. And the villain saying, you meddling kids or I would have gotten away with it weren't for you meddling kids is a big thing. So well, here's the thing. I feel like we found it not to be a trope. We've not heard a single episode, I believe, where where they say I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. That might be a trope myth, kind of like um the pimp my ride dude. Yo, I heard you like such and such, so I such and such you such and such. Ice cube. Yeah, ice cube. And it might be something that we that exists in the popular imagination but not in the show itself. Here it's certainly not present. That's the closest we get. Um, and as the Scarab says that, at, from the roof of the museum, next to a very precarious-looking gargoyle, the gang is down at the bottom telling Scrappy to stay put. Like you would to a child. Like, look, this spot right here, do not budge. We're gonna go in, we're gonna take care of this. Please don't move a muscle. And I'm not sure how- And he says, yeah. uh, don't move, got it. And he's not gonna move a bit. Finally, he's about to follow instruction, and of course that means that Scrappy-Doo actually assenting to stay put is a cue for something bad to happen to that exact spot where he's staying put. And what the Blue Scarab does is he gets one of the large gargoyles to, to topple off of the roof of the museum. Yeah. Towards Scrappy. Crooning towards Scrappy. The gang can only look on in horror as Scrappy says, Hey, look, Uncle Scooby, a big stone thing, which is so <laughs> it's infuriating. It's infuriating. Yeah. It's infuriating. <laughs> Because it's like, look, something is a large, heavy object is plummeting towards you to kill you. And your response is to marvel at it. I think the thing that makes me angry about Scrappy isn't anything about him. It's just the fact that he doesn't die. I'd be fine with everything about him if he died. Is How is my Scrappy-Doo impression, by the way? Your Scrappy-Doo is pretty solid. There's a reason I haven't been doing it myself as much. Okay, all right. I think, I believe it's Shaggy who tells Scooby to go save his nephew. With some reticence, he does run out, bouncing, just getting him out of the way. And here's the thing, the gargoyle, it doesn't actually strike where Scrappy was standing. It actually bounces off of a flagpole. It, it bounces off one of those horizontal flagpoles on the side of the building and bounces towards Scooby and Scrappy, who have taken shelter under an awning, which they then have to run out from underneath of. After it bounces off of the awning, continuing to hurtle towards Scooby and Scrappy, which I think is a very modern style of humor, and I, I like that. I thought that was funny. I really like that moment too. And then they go, they hide under a tree, but the gargoyle fo like follows them there as well, propelled by what I can only assume is my desire to see Scrappy crushed. <laughs> and then it, it bounces off the branch that they're that they've taken refuge under, bounces up in the air, and then just falls to the ground. They're safe. The branch then cracks and like hits them, which is I guess like that little icing on top of of the visual gag cake. Yeah, that kind of like seals the gag. The gang then all goes into the museum. Scooby stays back with Scrappy for a second. He says, you stay here. You stay right here. Don't move. Oh, I, I never get in on the good stuff. And then he he says he's going to craft one of his ingenious Scrappy traps. And then for, for a blessed fraction of time, 
Mystery Inc. proper gets into elevators to go grab the Blue Scarab. And we say proper, but what happens next is weird beyond weird. If you want to listen to one of our favorite episodes, make a beeline away from that feline. That's episode uh, two. Mm. There's a little bit of an elevator thing that occurs there. I suggest you go uh, listen to that. The gang gets into one elevator. On the left-hand side, there are two elevators. Remember, the gang, except Scooby, had run on ahead into the museum, so Scooby's a step behind. He's just settling Scrappy. And again, similarly to that episode, make a beeline away from that feline, he gets into the other elevator, which the Blue Scarab is in. He's about to get out, Scooby gets in, the doors close. Yes. So once again, we have a scenario with the villain and Scooby in this enclosed space. And if you've watched, if you've listened to or watched make a beeline away from that feline, you know that that is a very tense moment where Scooby is running away from this monster which is actively trying to probably kill him. We don't know what actually happens in the elevator between the Blue Scarab and Scooby. All we see is the buttons panel showing, lighting up, showing which floor they're on. I feel like we're hitting a lot of the checklist stuff before we actually get to the checklist, mm. but one of the checklist items is a chase scene. A chase scene, more specifically, if possible, a corridor scene. And so far, we haven't actually seen the corridor scene in any of these Scooby episodes. The corridor scene, what I mean by that, is the monster is chasing the gang, the gang starts going in and out of doorways, and it becomes rapidly confusing. They're going in one doorway, the monster's behind them, all the people are coming out of different doorways, the monster's in front of them, they're all chasing the monster, they're, they all look out the doorway together, and then go back in. And I want to applaud them for the attempt, be because I didn't think it was perfectly done. Go ahead and uh, go ahead and explain uh, what, what exactly happened. So we don't actually see the elevators going up and down, but we do see this panel of lights that signifies which floor they're on. They light up. And as the elevators start going up and down, we don't know why this happens, why it starts to malfunction, but the lights start flashing such that it looks like the elevator's on the first floor, the fifth floor, the second floor, the ninth floor. And then at one point, both the elevators are apparently on the same side, on the same... Kind of like uh, Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Right, they're kind of like ding, 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 ding. It's kind of confusing. And then both the elevators arrive at the top, the gang exits one elevator. Scooby and the Blue Scarab in what is for me, I'm going to say it now, the weirdest moment of any Scooby-Doo episode I've ever seen ever and probably ever will see. Scooby and the Scarab both exit the elevator and fast walk away from each other as if they've had an embarrassing one-night stand. <laughs> But you're right. They, what happened in that, that elevator? I need to know. I don't need to know. Actually, scratch that. Please don't tell me. <laughs> That's not a deleted scene that I need to watch. So, so they're all on the roof now. And the scarab, he stole a crown and he just puts it on. Because, you know, why not? He looks like he's just visited Burger King. Um, he uses a rope. He swings over to an adjoining building. And I don't... This is such a weird hodgepodge of, like, quick scene changes. Yeah. But now they're in a park, like a, like a park that's, I guess, near the museum, uh, where Scooby and Scrappy uh, hid under a tree from the uh, from the gargoyle. Yeah, I guess they suspect that the scarab has gone that direction. Scooby and Shaggy are, are searching for the blue scarab in the park. And the blue scarab sneaks up behind them, and he has, like, a blanket or, like, a tarp. And he throws it over Scooby, and that's it. <laughs> he doesn't tie him up. He doesn't, like, run in the other direction. He goes back the direction he came. It's almost like a very tame, practical joke. Watching the gang freak out at this is like watching one of those videos where a cat freaks out at a cucumber. It's like, what did they, what did they think was happening here that was so scary? So what happens is Scooby has this blanket on him, and he obviously obviously stumbles into the Scrappy trap that has been set. Yeah, he can't see. Scrappy has set a trap. Of course, if Scrappy sets a trap, it can only hurt a member of the group, specifically Scooby. And it does. It's one of those, like, tied-down saplings that then uh, is triggered to 
rope Scooby and fling him into the air, and it flings him into a, a fountain. Scooby gives Scrappy, like, the stink eye. I don't know how we're going to caption that, but I'm excited for that screenshot. Yeah, the dagger eyes. <laughs> like, he, he's not thrilled about, uh, about being flung into this fountain. This is the only time I can ever remember seeing Scooby mad at Scrappy. The only thing you could ever imagine Scooby mad about is, like, not getting food when he wants food. Everything else either makes him happy or scared. So this, that's an odd emotion to read on Scoob's face. Uh, they they return to, um, they're, they're back in the apartment. They found out that thousands of people have canceled their subscriptions. This was back in the day. Comic book subscriptions were not digital, but people did have them. And the way we find that out is Jerry Sloan's on the phone with someone who says, Oh no, it's going to be shut down, huh? That's too bad. And he hangs up and Shaggy's like, was that bad news? <laughs> yes, Shaggy. Uh, Velma says... If this villain was really serious about shutting down the comic, mm-hmm. what they would do to really just hammer the final nail into the coffin is they would go to the presses and I guess sabotage them. And I don't know how all that holds up. He's already effectively sabotaged the comic as far as it needs to go. It can't really go further from here. But they think that the uh, the Blue Scarab is going to go to the printing presses where we met Mr. Hardy and Floyd Hotchkiss earlier and sabotage it somehow. So uh, they head on over. There's a conveyor belt sort of up top, like raised. And so Scrappy's like, this is a great spot to spot the Blue Scarab from. He's up there to find the Blue Scarab. Scooby and Shaggy go up there to avoid the Blue Scarab. Different motivations, but the result is the same. The Blue Scarab flips on the conveyor belt. Scooby, Shaggy, and Scrappy are drawn towards a just giant chopping guillotine. Yeah, like a guillotine blade that's just like, yeah, chopping up and down, up and down. Which, I look, I assume is for paper in this sort of, you know, press. I, I assumed it's for other people that Floyd Hotchkiss has told the producer to, to give the chop. Having seen that he has just set in action the murders or the deaths of uh, two, two dogs and one man, the Blue Scrub says, uh, now to take care of the others. And then he menaces them. Kind of moves his fist a little bit at them, at himself, around. It's a fist. Uh, yeah. Whatever you do with a fist is violent, right? Not so fast, my friends. We have some unfinished business to settle. Uh, Back on the conveyor belt, Scooby is about to get chopped up. He jumps up, leaps up, and grabs this hook because apparently there's cranes. That's how factories are. You know, lots of blades and also lots of just like ropes and chains hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, especially comic book factories. Yeah, his sense of self-preservation, like you said, gets him to leap up and away from the blade, grabs the hook. Shaggy grabs onto Scooby and he in turn grabs Scrappy with his feet. What he does is he flings Scrappy onto the Blue Scarab's head. Scrappy kind of like blinds him with his tiny little uh, paws. Such the Blue Scarab can't see where he's going. And it's useful, I I dare say. (laughs) Yeah, it actually works. Scrappy uh, is a little bit vindicated with this action. Scooby and Shaggy, meanwhile, fall from that crane and start log running on some reams of paper. Um, Which in turn flatten the Blue Scarab and essentially catch him. As Shaggy says, that's all wrapped up. It's time for an unmasking. Uh, what I think is quite humorous is that the unmasking takes place back in Jerry Sloan's uh, loft apartment, studio, whatever, which means that they they took the scarab ma- fully masked, transported him all the way to the apartment just to, uh, to r- reveal his identity. That's unbelievable. They came all the way back here for the unmasking. What, what kind of awkward ride would that have been? Them just like sitting ostensibly in the mystery machine, just like headed back there. With- I imagine Jerry Sloan sitting next to uh, the Blue Scarab and the Blue Scarab being like, I did it because no, 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 no. 
Wait till we get to the apartment. We'll talk it out. <laughs> Jerry Sloan asks, how did you know what was going on? Velma says that there's some clues. Yeah. There's several clues. Sloan immediately says... It's Mr. Hardy. Which is completely unfounded. Uh, for one thing, good on you, Jerry Sloan, for not seeing race, I guess. <laughs> right. He doesn't see color. Yeah, Mr. Hardy is a man of color. He doesn't see color or, like, size or height. Or must or facial hair, apparently. <laughs> to him, everyone is, like, a Greendale human being. Just a bunch of putty people walking around to good old Jerry Sloan. Um, so someone has to pat him on the hand and the head and say, no, Jerry, it was not Mr. Hardy. Look, it was a good artist that painted uh, that whatever it was on the wall. Yeah, the quality of the scarab's mark? Uh, sign of the scarab. Yeah, the quality of the sign of the scarab becomes a factor ultimately because it was so well drawn it had to be an artist. It was so lovingly rendered. Yeah, Jerry's like, oh, well, it's got to be my rival, Floyd Hotchkiss. To which Velma or whoever has to again say, like, no, 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 no. You lovable buffoon. Floyd Floyd Hotchkiss is 120 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> uh, the, the blue scarab, as you know because you draw him, he's a big man. Yeah, they don't actually say that. They do say that the scarab did not run out of the hallway. The only other person in the hallway was Gruger. Howard Gruger was the one. And remember, Scrappy caught him initially, but everyone disregarded Scrappy. Again, Scrappy is pretty vindicated with this turn of events because he was right from the start. Yeah, if you think about it, they solved the mystery as soon as that took place. As soon as that took place, it had to be him. And really... Because it literally could not have been anyone else. In the absence of another character with that same body type, I know you listeners, you kind of got it from us describing him, but watching it, it had to be Howard Gruger. Um, and I believe they say this, he padded his suit, which seems wholly unnecessary to me. Because again... Yeah, the dude was t ripped. Yeah, he looks like he could bet 220 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> He's the most buff guy we've seen yet. Do you remember why uh, Gruger came up with this entire scheme? Well, he did it because he wants to be the artist. He's been doing Jerry's lettering for years, and he wants to uh, he wants to be the lead. Is that it? He was sick of the Blue Scarab and, and Jerry Sloan overshadowing his own abilities, taking all the spotlight. Yeah, he was tired of being a bit player to this, uh, this comic run. And here's what's bonkers. He performed these crimes not for his own financial gain, but for Jerry's financial ruin. So like best case scenario, at the end of all this, he's just out of a job and so is Jerry. Uh, you're not about to get a an offer for a series run from Mr. Hardy just because Jerry's gone. He's obviously gonna give it to Floyd Hotchkiss. It's just so bonkers because it's like, dude, you stole a million dollars in jewels. Yet, your goal is to be, like, a famous comic book artist. You have the jewels. You have, like, a crown from a museum. You you uh, pr pulled off a bank heist. None of that will help him become a comic artist either. What would help him would be apprenticing for one of the most popular comic artists of this time. He just pointed the gun right at his foot and pulled the trigger. Yeah, he blew off both feet. He has no legs to stand on. <laughs> yes, nice. <laughs> Not the best, most logical plan. Yeah, it's a pretty incomprehensible scheme. And this dude, this dude could be like an American gladiator. He's super fit. He's like swinging from buildings. He's pushing doors down. And there's nothing in the suit that allowed him to uh, electrocute people. That's never explained. I can only assume that when people come into contact with his muscled and toned physique, they just faint out of shock. Why Why doesn't Gruger just become an IRL superhero? Yeah, he could do that. <laughs> yeah, he, he literally was just like, well, 
gonna use these powers for evil and by these powers he means his sick bod right you know what i mean like he could have become the actual like blue scarab he's got everything he's got the cheekbones he's got the jawline he's got the whole build he's got the athleticism he's got the voice he's a hundred percent got the voice i guess think before you act yeah your life out better what a waste so that's that. That's the end of the mystery. All that's left is the final gag. Yeah, we got this little gag. Uh, Scooby is sitting at the drawing table. He he sketches up a little something. It's the blue Scooby and his partner and nephew, Scrappy Blue. Which you think they would have done the same pun format for both their names, like the blue Scooby and the blue Scrappy, or the 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 Scarab Do and Scarabarab Do. Okay, you know what? I no, never mind. <laughs> And Scooby sketches something up pretty fast and pretty nicely. Quite a masterful illustration. Jerry Sloan very generously says, it's an idea. <laughs> and Scrappy takes that as full praise, jumping into Scooby's arms, giving him a big hug. End credits. And that's it. That's the episode. It's uh, our first introduction to Scrappy-Doo, and it's a pretty good encapsulation of what makes the character. He's, he's infuriating, he's disobedient, except when he needs to put his life in danger, but also manages to uh, to assist in th- the mystery, which is to say that, like, Daphne did not. Daphne didn't do anything. Daphne didn't do anything. Fred and Velma were bar- barely present. You wonder where they get the time for all this scrappy stuff. They take it directly away from the other three characters. Yeah, this isn't really more content. It's the same amount of content with focus uh, shifted. Which is really sad for me. I love Velma, Fred, and Daphne. I think they're great characters, and when we explore them, and we do explore them, even in these early iterations, for me, it's very rewarding. So, let's go ahead and uh, and wrap this episode up. Let's get some final thoughts. Do you want to hit the checklist and just see if we... Because I know that we hit almost everything. Uh, obviously, we know he doesn't say meddling kids. We know there isn't unmasking, so points for that. Fred does not say let's split up and look for clues. That's because Fred says almost nothing. Just because it's like lead after lead. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're going from place to place because they know that that's where they should be going. And there's not really any clues to pick up on. Splitting up to look for clues doesn't happen. Our favorite gag, the Scooby Doop, um, does not happen. Uh, mm-hmm. We've described that many times over. All we need to say about it here is that it's great, but it doesn't happen. It's too bad. And, and again, it would have been very difficult to pull off because... It's a Scooby and a Shaggy gag. It's a Scooby and Shaggy gag, and also the Blue Scarab is a, is a human man. Yeah, how do you pull the wool over a member of your own society? And a very, like, verbose human man. He seems to have a handle on what's going on. So, the Scooby-Doop doesn't happen. Scooby snacks aren't present at all. Nope. A chase scene? Yes. Yeah, I, I would I would mark down yeah. yes. Yes. Um, there is a trap. It's midstream, and it's a scrappy trap. I, I kind of want to give him half, half and because, because the Mystery Incorporated doesn't, and that's the fun of it. The fun of it is when Mystery Inc., Puts the, tra- puts the trap together. Yeah, the group effort is part of the fun, and that doesn't happen. We did have a wrap-up and an unmasking. Unmitigated, it happened. I mean, they drove across town to do it, but it happened. It is nice to get back into that, because with, like, a Scooby-Doo Halloween last week's episode, or, sorry, mm-hmm. last, last week's episode, uh, we, we did not get that. Um, and finally, Scooby and Shaggy eating lots of food. They do eat food at the beginning. We open up at a malt shop. Yep, mango malts. Mango malts, indeed. That's it. And you meddling kids, but we already mentioned that doesn't really happen. So that's all of the tropes. But in general, the episode. One big impression is that I don't see the handiwork of 17 story credits and 10 story direction credits in this episode. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks? It's quite a lot. Unlike the kitchen in the Beast's Castle. <laughs> oh, no. Which had no cooks whatsoever. 
because uh because you know the knives and the stove and whatnot they were all what did they do here well here's something that's interesting do you remember in the original cartoon they burst into the kitchen and the stove is alive and he ostensibly yeah. like burns these men to death. Oh yeah. The stove is not a uh, he's not a major player. The stove is in fact not even like given a voice actor in in this particular version. Just kind of rumbles. Which, which I thought was a shame. Um, they had a, a harpsichord be one of the big um, voices. Uh, Stanley Tucci, who who I quite like. I love Stanley Tucci. That's awesome. Uh, my impressions of the episode. Mm. Uh, it wasn't Beauty and the Beast, starring Emma Watson, and in theaters right now. Evan, please. It also starred Dan Stevens. I can't believe it. Also, Ewan McGregor, who is not good. I'm sorry. Whoa, who is he? He was Lumiere. Oh, dang. And he, you know, he obviously he puts on the French accent, but it's just not very good. I don't imagine. That seems more cartoony than Ewan McGregor. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. Like, like Ian McKellen, I think, did quite well as a very, like, gruff and elderly Cogsworth. Mm. But, uh, yeah, Ewan McGregor's not not too hot. Uh, this episode, it's, it's not bad. No. You know, it's got some nice attention to detail for the comics industry. They did didn't have to say to open up on a scene with Jerry Sloan actually presenting some stuff about how comics work. I really like that. Yeah, I think as a whole, the episode is just very middling. Mm. There isn't anything glaring and awful about it outside of like Scrappy being a focal point, but yeah. but it feels very classic Scooby-Doo in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, the whole thing about the comic books, it obviously appeals to me as a fan of the medium. It's interesting. As far as the mystery goes, there wasn't much of a mystery. It could only really be one person. Every time we saw someone introduced, we knew it either was or wasn't them. Uh, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, too bad. Um, but I guess was I, I. But I liked how methodical they were about sort of eliminating those other suspects. Like I, I thought the wrap up was quite nice. It was a good wrap up. I like when they go over the facts. So that was pretty satisfying. I mean, it did have the most, again, bewildering thing that's ever happened in Scooby-Doo for me, which was the Scooby and Scarab elevator moment. You know what? When you were talking about that, it just made me think of um, in High School Musical 2. Again, a production by oh, I knew Disney. it. I effing knew it. I was about to thank you. I was about to get on my hands and knees and thank <laughs> but, you. No, no, no. It is, uh, it's, it's when Ryan and Troy's friend... What's Troy's friend's name? The guy who's played by uh, Corbin Blue? Yeah, Corbin Blue's character. Ahmed. Okay, <laughs> Troy and Ahmed. Shut up really quickly. I'm Googling it right now. Uh, Corbin Blue. Chad. His name is Chad. Oh, yeah. Which is not... That's a, such a white name, so I'm not surprised it didn't come to mind immediately. <laughs> it's just one step from Chet. Yeah, so Chad Chad and Ryan, they have the, their little musical number out on the baseball diamond. And you're the one who's pointed... You were the one who pointed this out to me, and why I will never forget really? it. Really? Is they walk back... And they have since changed clothes. <laughs> That's true. That. Um, and it's just one of those, again, it mirrors the whole uh, Scooby and the Blue Scarab thing. Because something happened, you don't know what. But they they had to have gotten naked at one point and then clothed again at some point. And also, why each other's clothes? Like, like, that's not even really a normal sexy thing. Yeah, and then there was that one scene where uh, Lucas Grabeel greets uh, Cor uh, Chad in the more I don't know what names I'm going to use, but Lucas is wearing one of his uh, button-up shirts that goes a little bit extra long down the waist. <laughs> it almost covers his butt. Oh, man, when you did that at that one camp that we went to, that was like oh, yeah. the highlight of that experience for me. Because, like, you and Ben were wrestling, I think. Like, everybody else was wrestling, and I just got on, like, my long sleeve shirt, and I would just, like, plop on top of the wrestling people. It was, uh, for, for context, for listeners, this was at a camp Luke and I went to in high school, and he put on this long sleeve, like, plaid shirt, took off his pants and socks. 
I had and boxers I, on. Sure. They were sure. rolled up to look to show maximum buttock, but yeah. And then acted like he had just had like an adult sleepover. But as the female party after an adult sleepover. <laughs> like I was very coy. And I don't know why you're saying that to our listeners as if this is gonna stay in. That's a fantasy of fantasies. Oh, sorry. Is this like a bonus? Is this like Patreon content? This is nobody content. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I'm gonna cut. I'm gonna cut this. I'm gonna cut episode content. But we're keeping in every Beauty and the Beast reference there was. Actually, that's the whole episode now. Uh, can I cut around to just keep Beauty and the Beast stuff? Ah, uh, this is Beauty that- Dudes tuning in from Be- Beauty Dudes. Beauty Dudes. He's Beauty. I'm the Beast. <laughs> Any other big thoughts on the episode? I feel honestly, dude. I feel like you could. Um, I feel like you could cut this episode off at any point, very naturally, right? So. That was the episode. Hi, Uncle Luke. Oh God. <laughs> He's got that scrappy illness. I'm scrappy too. Martha, get the gun. What's that? <laughs> oh, you know I loved you. Still love you. Boop, boop, boop. Puppy! I'll remember you as you were! (laughs) The only way this episode could end, you guessed it from the start. We didn't get off track like uh, an intoxicated motorist. We stayed on a dead true course. Uh, Welcome to the outro portion of this podcast. We were the Scooby Dudes. Uh, We hope that you enjoyed listening to that episode we certainly enjoyed recording it i did oh we obviously want to thank you for uh donating us that time that hour and change uh, out of your very busy days Uh, we would also like to extend that same thanks but more so to some other people i i disagree i think listening to this is the most anyone could do you're as engaged as you could be turn off the podcast now that's all the content there is please no 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 no, just turn it off you're good don't turn, off the, don't, don't, turn, don't turn off okay, the podcast. What, what else could there be? What if... Hear me out. Okay, I'll give you a minute. What if people listened to the podcast hmm? and also hmm? gave us money? What? Why has no one thought of that yet? That's genius. Can you believe that people have done that, like, already? I, I can't believe that people haven't done that. That there's people out there who haven't done this yet. That's the coolest way you can stay engaged and contribute creatively to this endeavor. Incredibly, it's not even a one-way relationship. What? If people give us money, no. we give them bonus content. You're kidding me. That's ridiculous. They can get extra content by paying us cashola? Yes, it's almost like money can be exchanged for goods and services. You guys can't see, but my head just exploded. It's gone. It's so, but I think I now understand. I'm, I'm seeing uh, I can receive extra audio. I can receive extra work in progress uh, GIFs. I can receive extra content by contributing to this uh, production I love. That's exactly right. We even, if you get up to the $10 mark, which, you know, may be a little steep to some people, mm-hmm. you actually get 15 bonus minutes of content every single month. And by that point, you've already received actual hard copy goods and services from us creatively tailored just for you. And, you know, a couple of people are realizing this just now for the first time. We do actually have one additional donor as of this week. To thank, to praise, to grovel before. Uh, do, do you want to 
tell us who it is? Well, I feel because I know he listens to it, but I've never actually spoken to it. But Theo, thank you, Evan's close friend Theo, who I've never actually spoken to in my life. Yeah, very closely, he's attempting to supersede what you and I have. I hope you know that. I, I've known that since the moment I first heard about him. Evan has exalted Theo as far as I've known Evan. He's actually an older friend of Evan's than mine, and that's ever been a point of contention between you and me, Theo. But Theo... You have been the bigger man than I'll ever be, and you've donated to our enterprise. He's actually a lot bigger than you. Fush, son he of really, a... He, he works You out. didn't have to tell I'm me that. I'm pretty sure he can bench 220 pounds. You could have told me he was a small man. <laughs> He's not a small man. But no, Theo, thanks. Thank you so much. Th- like, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening as well. I, didn't, I don't expect anybody to listen to this, um, let alone my rival. Theo, you join an esteemed bunch and Scooby Dudes is unique in that every single episode we list off all of their names. And podcasts in general, you're lucky to get a shout out for your donation. Here we give you a shout out every single week. Yep. So without further ado, uh, here are those uh, here are those people. Thank you once more. Moving on, we do want to encourage you a couple other places that you can seek us out to find additional content and additional ways to connect. Hit us up on the website, scoobydudes.com. For this episode specifically, there's that article about Gaston and the eggs, which I think is worth reading. And you'll, you'll find that very easily. I put it right in the show notes. It's, uh, it's the place to be. So, you know, social media, like us on Facebook, just facebook.com slash scoobydudes. You can check us out on Twitter. There we are, the Scooby Dudes. One and only, the Scooby Dudes. Uh, and then lastly... If you, if you listen to us on iTunes, one thing that you can do that would really, really help us out, and you could be the first, is you could review this podcast. Rate us five stars. That would be a big help as it happens. Yeah. Look, no one else has left us a review yet. You could be our number one, our first reviewer. That's huge. I still haven't written us a review on iTunes. Check us out on our website. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Write us on uh, ScoobyDudesPodcast at gmail.com. That's our email in case you want to send us any of your thoughts and notes. That is it. We will be back next week. We will be back every week. Calm down, people. Will you calm down? Please. (laughs) Calm down. Let's all be calm. Please. I feel like things are getting out of hand. Please, let's calm down. I was so excited. You really, you really blue balled me with that, with that yell. Sorry, blue eared me. Just run him under cold water, bro. That's the episode. Thank you guys again for joining us. Check us out where you can check us out. And uh, I love you, Evan. I love you, listeners.